Hello folks, and for regular listeners, welcome back. This is the High Performance Human Podcast, and I'm your host, Simon Ward. Before we get into today's show, I'd like to talk about what it means to be a high-performance human. It has nothing to do with how fast you swim, bike, or run, but it does have everything to do with your sleep, nutrition, physical activity, personal relationships, your work habits, and so much more. If these are areas you'd like to improve on, then we would love to help you. I currently have availability to take on a few clients and Beth, my wife, who is a certified life coach, also has some availability. So depending on what you're looking to focus on, we have you covered and you can find contact details in the show notes below. All right, on to this week's podcast. Have you ever had a bike fit? And if so, when was the last time? When today's guest, Phil Burt, was on the show last August, he invited me along to his clinic in Manchester for my own bike fit. He's got a lovely place at the Performance Institute, which is very close to the Velodrome. Today's conversation is really an extension of that meeting, and it's in line with many of the topics that I've spoken about on this podcast and in blog posts recently. I was curious to ask Phil whether any specific adjustments should be made for those older athletes so that they can continue to enjoy their cycling as much as they do now. My interest is partly selfish and obviously... It's mostly because I want to help you to continue to get the most from your riding. We talk about the debate of aerodynamics versus comfort, why choosing disc brakes also allows you to choose fatter tyres, shorter crank lengths, short nose saddles and pedal systems that give you a little bit more float. So without any further chat, let's hear from Phil. Well, welcome back, Phil. It's lovely to see you again. And um, you, Simon. It, it doesn't seem like more than a few weeks since I last met you, but that's probably because it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was relatively recently, wasn't it? But you've done quite a bit since. <laughs> well, we did, for, for the listeners who are wondering exactly what I'm talking about now, we did a podcast a few months ago where we were just talking about bike fitting and, and what have you. And, and you invited me at that time to come over to your clinic in Manchester, which I did. And we had a great time. I spent a couple of hours there with you tinkering around with my bike position on my road bike. Um, but for listeners who, who, you know, haven't yet been to see you, it, it was way more educational for me than that because we talked about a whole load of things, didn't we? Bike training and um, how they do things in the Pro Tour and everything else and bike fit and this and that and the other. And, uh, yeah, so it, it's it's it had a lot more value than just a bike fit, I have to say. Oh, good, great. Yeah, well, I've been dealing with us mere mortals now, would you believe it's five years since I left sort of the process? We, we, we obviously still look after British triathlons a positional process, but most of our bread and butter is people like yourselves and, and many of the listeners, you know, and it is about, you know, about a two hour process with lots of nice little gaps where you can talk about different stuff, can't you? So um, and my, what, the way I've developed my own personal process with that is that I always say everyone goes through the same process, but every bike fits different. Does that make sense? And we meet some amazing people, but, um, during that process, yeah, I like it to be a very active process, not passive. So if you remember, I said at the beginning, look, you don't have to remember anything because I'm going to email you afterwards with a summary of what we what we found, what we did, and what we planned to do. And um, it seems to work quite well that people relax and then you can sort of, but I think almost like, I almost have a lot of phrase, Simon, that I don't really change anything about someone's Bible decision that you change it. And, you know, if I can't convince you of that and the reasons for doing it, that you shouldn't do it. Um, and we do, we do, I, I never criticise anyone. I was just buying things. I've never been there, but we do see quite a lot of people who 
maybe have had that process and don't understand what what why they've done what they've done. <laughs> maybe that's my physio background. And that you, I kind of it's a bit, a bit like a consultation. I often say with sports medicine injury, the most important thing is understand what why what is happening to you is happening to you. Mm. <laughs> if you if you do, if you understand that, that's fifty percent of the treatment. And maybe that's it. yeah. Well, I remember you, and obviously I wouldn't want you to disclose names, but you told me a really interesting story about a lady who made an investment in time and money to come all the way from London to see you, mm-hmm. and you didn't change anything. No, and she she come up and she was a really keen cyclist and had had some um, recent surgery that she wanted to make sure you know um, that was protected, as it were, you know, riding a bike and wasn't gonna she was gonna upset the surgery, but wanted to ride continue cycling, and um, she had the best. The, the, I couldn't improve her position. It was spot on. And she still said to the end, oh, well, a bit disappointed in that. And I said, well, I'll live with that disappointment because I would literally be changing it for the sake of changing it. And then she smiled and said, and that's what I came for. <laughs> so, so, you know, sometimes it's just as important to know what's right as what's, what's wrong or what could be better, you know. But if, if we kind of, again, one of my, you remember this catchphrase is, what we want to do is get people spending time, effort, and money in the areas that will make a difference for them. And mm-hmm. that is so often very hard in any sport, especially triathlon cycling, where it's equipment heavy because there's loads of marketing money involved. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's that's an interesting point because when I went away, I had a shopping list of things that um, from the bike fit that you suggested that I needed to change on my bike to make things a little bit more comfortable. So, yeah. um the most significant one was changing my crank lengths to shorter cranks. Um, and I'd never really been very specific about the crank lengths that I was using. So 175s felt okay, but now I've changed to 170s. Um, I, I definitely know. I, I think that I'm noticing a bit difference. You're probably going to tell me that I'll notice it more if I change back to uh, what I was riding before. Um, yeah. you, you, you mentioned to me about, um, saddle we didn't do anything for the saddle at that point because I was going on a big ride and obviously wouldn't want yeah. to change the saddle so close to that you also mentioned to me about changing my handlebar width um, and that was an interesting one because I remember on a previous bike fit that the person suggested that I needed to have slightly wider handlebars to allow my chest to breathe and you know my, like, allow me to breathe comfortably um, but of course that makes me a bit like a sail when I'm riding, doesn't it? Scooping all that air up and forcing it into my chest. So um that was quite yeah. a surprise. And 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 the and the thing is then, and you did make a you did make a point about this, is that these are just things I think that you will Im- help you to improve your riding position, Simon. But you're not buying them from me. You've got to go and order them. So um it's not about you making money by telling somebody they need to change this and then selling them all these add-ons. It's up to them to decide whether they want to make those investments. Yeah, exactly. And uh, 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 quite from the beginning, we have some very special, I don't mind setting speed pay pedals up for someone if that's a solution and we have some pretty special sales, but really, holy, we don't sell it because there's no way I could compete with uh, the you know the online retailers for you getting it at the best possible price. So we charge a bit bit more maybe for our service, but it's not, every, everyone walks in the door and knows that the business model isn't about selling you things that you may or may not need. So we've got no, we've got, you don't have to do that, but that's why I, I quite like giving that list. The other thing that, which remember we talked about as well is that if you change everything at once, you mm. mentioned yourself, for example, there, you know, how the hell do you know what's working? So that's why mm. I often say, 
you know, during the process, quite a lot sometimes can happen on the day. By the very nature of some things, like changing crankbait, that can't happen on the day. But in some ways, sometimes you want to change one thing at a time so that you can see what's working. So uh, your saddle is a classic thing. I've never changed it yet two weeks before a big ride like you were doing. It wasn't killing you or anything. But what we what we looked into was what was what is going to be the best saddle for you mm. moving forward if you wanted to change it, you know, uh, and bringing the bike together, you know. So I often say... Um, yeah, people come in and they're quite surprised and we start with a the saddle they got on there because if it's not in the right place it can't do its job <laughs> so, yeah. and, um, and and quite frankly you know you need to change the if crank length is wrong i don't think it was wrong with you simon i think what we were doing there was looking at what was best going forward you know mm-hmm. as we're all getting a bit older hips getting a bit stiffer things like that and you know we've all got miles and thought so there's nothing wrong with it but as you it, quite often people it, in with bike fix it's so multifactorial I often say they have this thing where they disappear down a rabbit hole of changing things. So you can do the rabbit hole of knee pain, the rabbit mm. hole of saddle sores, and they get you start to change so much that you forget where you were and what was working and what, and that, and then it becomes like, oh, it's just a yeah. So we that's that's a lot of people that we see where we have to sort of do a reset and say, well, well, well we just need to stop right and get back to something that's normal. It does make me think about another element of of our conversation, which. I'm sure I said to you, and I've definitely spoken about this in other podcasts and on um, the regular blogs that I send out to my mailing list um, subscribers, is that my goal now is is not to get faster. It's to be able to continue doing what I love for as long as possible. So next year I'm 60. I think listeners probably already know that because I've mentioned it several times. That's not because I'm fishing for lots of birthday cards and presents, but um, but you know, can I continue to ride my bike and do the things I like when I'm 70? I know that there are riders out there still enjoying riding at a decent level in their mid to late 70s. Can I be one of those? What do I need to do? And we also had a side conversation, which I found really interesting about some of the some of the specific adjustments to riding and riding position that um, riders over the age of 50 might need to think about you know it's it's fairly well documented that you just mentioned hips get a little bit less range of movement you get a little bit tighter in the neck perhaps you may be a little bit tighter in the shoulders so how do we balance out aerodynamics if that's an important consideration versus comfort you know do we do we need to change the saddle do we need to change the sorts of shoes that we wear so that was what i was hoping we could cover today specifically changes and adjustments that you would recommend for our older riders so they can still be like me carry on doing what they love for as long as possible yeah yeah absolutely and it's a, a growing um section of the market is is that you know we're good is the the, the aging cyclist coming in and it's quite smart if you think about it so it's almost like getting ahead of the game before you yeah. get before you get problems and the way i look at that is that i've got two ways simon of sort of addressing that and in that i think the human human beings are amazing things and I always remember if we diverge into the world of medicine a minute a little bit, and uh, I, I, I can, we, we often have a phrase where we say treat treat the patient, not the scan. And you mm-hmm. would have been aware of this being a high level coach you are. But so um, um, I'm happy to share that. For example, I'm, I'm nearly ten years younger than you, but I'm big birthday this year, fifty. But I've known now for three years that I'm going to have to have a new right hip. Yeah. The hilarious thing is that, that yeah, my right hip is a lot of pain in the real Olympics, and that's what worked out. And at some point, I'll probably have to have it replaced. What's interesting is that the surgeon, the medics aren't very nice to each other. He just laughed at me and said, straight to hip replacement. <laughs> I was like, what? And um, interestingly, <laughs> when they do the CT scan, which shows you, he said, how's the left one feel, by the way? And I went, never feel anything. It, 
it's far worse <laughs> than, than, than the right one. So this this allies with me, bear with me and the listeners. I, I, my theory is, as being a physio has looked after some pretty amazing people, but also many ordinary people like ourselves, is that the body break, when you get pain and discomfort, is where the body can't keep up with the changes mm-hmm. that are happening to you. So if you think about it in the most extreme form, if you fall off your bike and break your collarbone, that's obviously sudden trauma. The body can't keep up with that, so you have a lot of pain, a lot of dysfunction. But at certain points, we're all wearing out. It's just how we cope out without wearing out. And um, my, my, my theory is that sometimes things go a bit faster than the body can keep up with, you know, and adjust with and adjust you what, the way, you, for example, you mm-hmm. maybe you run or cycle. And that's when you get pain and discomfort. So I, I think you make a really good point. And what we did with you was, I think, we're changing uh, certain things around your bike, including the crank lamp, discussing the type of salary you were using, is we were just saying, you know, you're not going to get, well, you're probably not going to get any more flexible. <laughs> you definitely aren't going to get any more younger, you know. And with that, this comes, it's, a, we have to recognise that the modern world is incredibly sedentary. I mean, I'm yeah. sitting down here, you talking to you on a screen, you know. So some of the um, daily aspects of life, um, say, 50, 100 years ago, the inputs to make us physically active and better aren't there anymore, you know. So we have to recognise that. Yeah. You mentioned neck and shoulders. I think what you have to do is take that, it, it, it's people... I'll support anybody riding the most aggressive aero position if that's what they want to do, yeah? But I think some people more smarter might come in and say, realise, well, look, what I, what I used to do, I can't do anymore. My neck hurts in that very aero position and my my hips getting really closed up and I have some pain. on It's it's the horses for courses and realising which one of those three blocks of, I have to think of five feet as, as pillars, one being aero, one being power, and the last one being comfort, stroke, sustainability. Basically, the weight shifts, if you ask me, into your 50s and 60s. Most people want to be able to, like you mentioned, carry on what I'm doing, not necessarily better any PBs you might do. You know, I'm not saying anyone can't, but normally it's hanging on to what you've got and still enjoying it. And if that's the case, then what was suboptimal before, which a lot of people don't realise, is, you know, if you've landed in what I call there's a bike fit window, and that window, if you imagine, so there's a box where how high your saddle is, how far back it is, how tilted it is, well, what, all that sort of thing. And then you've got your front handlebars and then you've got your, your contact foot with a pedal. That, that box is very, very wide for someone like Geraint Thomas, you know, who I've never really done much physio to apart from when he's crashed, you know, because he just, he just adjusts one of those annoying people that, you, you, anyone could drive a plan he, he'd get better with it because he just adjusts and adapts it's amazing now they're the easy people to look after or coach and he once famously you know rode the wrong spare bike for half a stage of a tour of France because he doesn't mean it was optimal for him and I think that's the interesting thing is you can, when you're younger for example you might get away with 175 cranks even though you might not know, you might be not be aware that you're relatively shorter the leg, longer the torso. So the one seven five cranks that come with that bike aren't the best ones for you to fit that size of bike. So it's getting ahead of that that game where you're going well because the beauty of cycling is there's no there's no eccentric forces. These are the ones of landing, you know. And you've coached some very famous people. When you get those miles on the clock from running, that's yeah, rehabilitating runners is a nightmare because they're addicted to running because it causes so much damage to our body. That's why we have that amazing endorphin rush after we finish running. You know, compare that to cycling. You have to cycle probably three to four times that the length of a run, don't you, to get the, even close to the same feeling? But that's the beauty of it in that it doesn't destroy us as much, <laughs> so you you can get away with it. So. It- if I was a sensible 50-year-old or 55-year-old or 60-year-old, what even if I've been riding on the same bike for several years and it feels comfortable, it might be 
a sensible idea to make sure that there's nothing that, that there's nothing that's going to limit me riding and limit my comfort and enjoyment because there's there's nothing worse if you're on a wrong on a long bike ride to getting a sore neck with yep. 20 miles to go and then focusing oh my neck hurts i can't keep my head up you know I keep rolling your shoulders and just wishing the ride to be over you know you want because that's not enjoying the ride that's just suffering the ride through to the end then isn't it and yeah. it, it, you know if it's a training ride you might be able to cut off early and go home but if you're doing a sportive or if you're in a triathlon you haven't really got any option and if you're doing a triathlon and you and your neck or your shoulder hurts then it's quite likely that that discomfort's then going to be carried into the run which is going to yeah. again it's yeah. going to distract your focus onto something else exactly yeah um, and, and and sometimes i have a bit of a phrase where i say you know the, the bike's adjustable and you're adaptable and um and, uh, you, you just made me think of a really good point if if we accept that we're always changing in our adaptability then why wouldn't you adjust the bike you know to to to, to meet with you and carry on with that way but you make a really good point for example the, the very the, the, the race sometimes you see triathletes who are or iron men and women who are who are great swimmers but they tend sometimes then to have really quite tight lats and if your lats are tight it, it, that basically forces you to ride in, in a different upper body position so sometimes the position is great and you could you know basically in a very simple world coming up at the front and back normally makes you a bit less strained but it's not always the point you know so sometimes Simple things like some pretty simple lat stretching or soft tissue work or trigger point ball into the lats to just get that bit of freedom in the shoulder can completely relieve neck, neck pain. So it's all about, I think I often call it pushing on the pushing on the magic buttons and going to make the biggest difference for us. You know, so uh, yeah, I, I I strongly believe, and we that I don't I don't go around advertising this, but, but quite a lot of sensible, much smarter people than me seem to go right. I'm coming in for a bike fit. And we sit down, and as you would have gone through the process, that if you ask me, the most important bit of the bike phase when we sit down at the beginning, we talk about what is the goal of the session for you, you know? Mm-hmm. So, because in there, it's nearly always the, the, the little nugget that I need to help unlock the whatever the the the, the, the resolution or, or solving solving thing is. And uh, people say, oh, well, no, nothing wrong, but I don't want there to be anything wrong. So, I want you to tell me, is this a good position going forward? You know? So, if you've had, you know, Lots of people have you know, knee surgeries, things like that. A lot of people have a, a different sporting history, and a lot of people come into the sport that me, the sports that me and you love, you know, um, cycling and triathlon. But they might have played football for thirty years, you know, or something like that. That comes with a lot of baggage, you know. <laughs> so it's almost like, okay, these are the things we can do to help you modify you. It's basically contact point management is what sometimes we bike fit really is. Yeah, I'm. I'm just thinking about, you know, this particularly for triathletes when when you're riding a a triathlon bike so if we talk about triathlon first and riding a time trial bike it's quite low at the front end and there is always the if you pick up a magazine or go onto one of the online forums there's nearly always something about being more aero getting a better position um and i do wonder how many of those articles when they all when the author writes them he has the young books you know the athletes in there maybe the 20s and 30s and 40s in mind and whether they're actually writing them thinking about the older athletes who are you know a growing section of the market Mm. um and it seems when i when i watch races it seems to me that we've talked about this in terms of you know it's all right having an aggressive aero position but then do you have the mobility and and you know mobility endurance if you like to be able to hold that for the entirety of your ride and i see a lot of people on expensive aero bikes sitting up with a with a big chest and you know like a sail there catching all the wind and you know yeah. not benefiting from that 
But I guess that's also much more of a concern for our older athletes is you've got this aero position. It looks great in the photographs, but but if you're only holding it for one minute, um, you think you, you think you're losing time, but you'll be losing more time if you're having to sit upright to alleviate all of that, um, all of that discomfort. So is that something you would, uh, would be a stronger recommendation for you of, of folks to, to to think about that compromise of comfort versus aero and and be prepared to adjust down a little bit. One hundred percent. So even without the aging athlete, I think most we spend most of our time rebalancing that with people. If, if you think about a time trial bike, right? Yes, it's it it offers a more aero position, but the the fundamental difference between a time trial bike and a road bike is that that the seat post is in line. And that means you can get very high and very far forward over the bottom bracket and over the pedal. Now, what that means is that the engine room, i.e. your legs and your your butt, so glute max is the biggest, strongest muscle in the body, and then your quad as well, pushing down. What a time trial bike affords is the ability for you to pedal stronger than you ever could do on a road bike. Mm -hmm. So I always think, right, let's start with the engine room because there's no point being aero unless you can go unless you can pedal hard because you're not going to go anywhere fast. Aero is always the sexier thing though because it it, it sells. Yeah, so yeah, great great analogy here is people going on about aero bikes and so on and so forth. The reason why they go on about them is that the very large companies who make them spend a hell of a lot of money set making aero bikes sexy. But if we consider that the bike is nine to ten percent of your frontal area, and you're mm-hmm. ninety ninety one. That's why skin suits work really well. <laughs> and therefore, the position, that's where you're spending your energy and money. So my, my attitude is, but it is, once you once you get up to speed, once you get the most powerful position you can do, aero is sexy and nice because it's literally one for one, you know, in power in terms of like, you know, and we, you'd hunt around a long time to get the serious power gains you can get out of being in the most aero position. I think it's just quite often people have, I agree with you, what we see is, They've been given what somebody says is an aero position, and it is, but they can't sustain it. So what you have to do is either mitigate the things that aren't aren't done there. Crank length is one, for example, because it stops your hips closing up, can help you breathe for some, you know, and uh, help you breathe when your thighs not coming straight into your chest. And you can mitigate that, but sometimes it's having that balancing point. You know, I, I don't but you, Simon, but I, I actually think the high the trend towards high hands that you see in a lot of people, you know, with the, the new riser. For me, part of the reason why that works is it, it, I, I'm, I'm not in the wind tunnel all the time anymore, so I'm not sure, I'm not sure on numbers. I think with some people that would be more aero in itself. But what it will definitely do is it what it definitely does is it gives you something to push back against because classic old time try and try with flat front ends, it feels like you're a fried egg falling off the front of a frying pan you know, all the time. You, the amount of energy people have expended but mm. working to hold themselves, you know. But the high end position. And a really easy way to demonstrate that is if you try and do as long a plank as you can on the floor with your arms flat, but then put three cushions underneath your forearms and then do the plank again. See how much easier it is. Because basically you're locking the upper body, yeah. upper body musculature. It's got something to work against. So to me, it's as you pointed out, it's um what is the most aero position that I can hold whilst power pedaling powerfully, considering all those things, those three. What what you what people sometimes get hoodwinked into doing is they just concentrate on air and think that on its own will make them go faster. So we've discussed this before, Phil. Is about when you should have a bike fit. Um, do you have the bike fit after you've purchased and dropped five grand or ten grand now, which seems to be the norm, or do you or do you have it before you do that and 
go away armed with the fact that you need to make sure that the uh, the, the the riser above your um, the stem yeah. and above the uh, the head tube is got enough room um, yeah. to keep the bars higher. Yes. So I'm thinking about my road bike now. Yeah. Um, that came with a, a riser post that was quite low to the to the head tube, and whilst I'm flexible enough and mobile enough to be able to get into that position it is it is quite it's quite um an extreme um aero position um when i look at some of my friends as well um but the bike came with that and i have as you said i've adapted myself to that but there isn't any more adjustability in the bike in terms of at the front end because i can't lengthen that stem i'd have to get a new pair of forks in there with um, a a longer a longer tube above the head tube but i know i know there's a lot of folks in their 50s and 60s they've probably got the disposable income and thinking well you know i can afford that nice bike now yeah so I've am, am, you, I, am i asking you a leading question here by saying yeah, should we, yeah, well, should we yeah. be getting a bike fit before we spend all that money oh well, you know i've been I've, I've been on some things with uh gcn and stuff like that and said some quite controversial things which is a i've said not everybody needs a bike fit it's the first thing i ever said at a conference 13 years ago <laughs> that went down like a lead balloon at a bike fit conference not ever because if you've happened to stumble into the ideal fit window that is yours, who am I to say that I can make that any better? It, it, the question is, do you know that? You know, if you ask me. So, it, do so that that's also the question I would say. If you're about to spend a lot of money on a bike, if you're ha, how you've arrived at that is going to be the best bike for me. If you're you're really solidly right now, I know what works for me. I know I want this this length for this. I want that. Yeah, go ahead. You know, get it, and then you can adjust. Adju- your point about all, always leave the steerage you on, never let them cut it till, till you've ridden it for a, a few months and you're happy with it, and then you can cut it when you know where you want it to. You can aesthetically build, but, but that's the, the worst thing you can do is just have it cut flat to the, 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 the yeah, the, to the frame, and then you've got no adjustability left other than like flipping the stem, which some people don't like, you know. Um, we, we see a mixture of both, but we see more and more people coming in. I think if you cycle for one, you have a current bike, and you're saying, Well, look, I want to buy this, is going to be. It is is what I'm riding now is and it's it's like that that famous thing where you know what you know but you don't know what you don't know and that's where I think sometimes bike fit isn't about saying I often say that, 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 that there's no bad positions there's there's just better ones mm. <laughs> it's like, so mm-hmm. it's not it's no criticism but you you got what you've got and here we go this is where I can lend my expertise and experience for example some brands will let you some brand companies will let you change the crank length on the bike. Um, I think Riddle do, Villa, some like other ones won't. So yeah, so you might have to take the cranks off and you know, sell them and put it but it's my job to convince you why you would want to make those changes, you know. But, but the big thing people should remember is standard bikes come with standard kits on it. Yeah, they don't know you. I think by going for a bike fit, it enables you then to go away with that that purchasing authority. So I mean to go, mm-hmm. well look, this is what I want. Can you give it to me? And if not, how am I going to make that 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 puzzle that jigsaw come together oh, can i ask you about frames sure carbon i ride a titanium frame and it feels like the most comfortable frame material um around because it, it you know it feels like it absorbs some of the road noise and the and the road bumps but it's it's relatively light and i feel like it's pretty stiff as well so it, you know when i'm climbing it, it um yeah it, it it doesn't sort of flex and lose all of that power but titanium frames are quite expensive and then you know you're seeing more of them around but you don't see many uh, most of the big manufacturers are producing carbon but i wonder if choice of frame material is something that we should consider as we get older you know is titanium or aluminium more comfortable than long rides and carbon 
Whoa, that's a, that's a good, <laughs> big question. Um, I, I think traditionally titanium has, I've ridden a titanium bike for years and years, and now actually riding in a carbon gravel bike because most of my cycling at the moment is commuting, sorry. But um, and I think carbon is such, it's been modified so much in the way they use it and that, that they can achieve amazing things with it, you know. But um, I, I do agree that titanium has a certain feel to it. Um, I, I think where, where that's been overtaken a little bit, in, so 10 years ago, I would have said, yes, I think a titanium bike is much more absorbing, more comfortable more for those longer rides. What's, what's happened, if you ask me, Simon, though, is with the advent of disc wheels, mm-hmm. um, and you've seen the size of the tyres that people can ride with now with the, not a great massive drop-off in rolling resistance, That they that's now, I think the size of the tyres that you can use on the wheels has almost overtaken the choice of frame material in terms mm-hmm. of coming, because that makes a demonstrative change. So I recommend that all the time now, is that if someone comes in with a, because we don't sell any bikes, and they say, well, look, I've got a rim brake carbon fibre bike from 10 years ago, but I think there has been a big change in bikes in the last ten years, and now, it, and it's it's it, it's a it's a weird one. It's the, the advent of disc brakes has meant that the wheel construction now, without the braking surface close to where you, you know, normally have your tire, the, the size of tires you can get on, but don't feel slow. Um, we used to put just to give you an example of that when the sprinters had back injuries in the British squad. You know, uh, we changed their. The, the road bike from 18 mil to 23 mil tires, which was the biggest we could probably get on there at the time. And they could ride into the velodrome without any back pain because it's just so much more comfortable in terms of absorbing the road. That's a really interesting point because I was on a, I was on a forum um, the other day for triathletes and somebody was asking about the benefits of having disc brakes on time trial bikes. They said, well, they're not that much more aero because, you, you know, you can hide the disc, you can hide the rim brakes behind the back of the frame or, or in different places to, to make them more aero. Um, a designer for one company told me that, that, that disc brakes and through axles provides more stiffness at the axle, which means that less power is lost when you stand up to accelerate, particularly on a hill. Make, um, yeah. But also that I'd, I'd I was going to ask you about tyre width, but what I hadn't considered was that that whole connection between disc brakes means that there's more clearance, which means that you can do actually have the option of having um, bigger tyres. And as we know that, um, you know, most of the, most of the pro teams are now riding 28s as, as norm, aren't they? And there's, there's no real loss of rolling resistance, but I, I remember like you, when I first started, it was like, let, let me have those 19 mil tyres. <laughs> so skinny. Yeah. Um, and and that, you know, I I also noticed when I switched to tubeless that that they seem to be more comfortable than inner tubes as well. Um, yeah. yeah, they just it was just maybe just the pressure that you can ride them at. Um, just felt like there was that, that you just absorbed more of that road chatter that you get, particularly on the rough roads yeah. that we tend to experience now with the potholes and the poor surface. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. And um, and going back to your original point though about um. Your neck pain and stuff like that. If you're actually talking about time trial, you often think, you know, a proper aero time trial position, um, it is hard to ride. It's like painting the ceiling for the 40 minutes, you know. And if me and you painted our ceiling now and didn't stop for 40 minutes, we'd have neck pain, you know. 
And, and the best proponents of great time trial positions, if you ask me, have always been the two people I work with. It would be Ed Clancy, would be one of them, and um, he's not a million miles away from you, you there at Homeford. But Ed would regularly ride in his time trial bike from Homeford up, up and down the hill and dale to the velodrome and then go back home. And he always advocated the longer I ride that machine, the more used I get to riding it. And there is that thing about molding yourself to it. Mm-hmm. I think that's the problem, though. Is what you probably want to, as you get older, it gets harder to do that just because our necks and backs and that, you know, we all get started getting stiffer and harder. And it's, it's about where that sweet point is. Okay, let's bring that up a little bit. It's still aero, but it's easier for you to get there and hold, you know. Um, and, and then you can get, continue to sort of mould yourself into it. But I do think there has to be almost like that little asterisk caveat that the reason why time trialing is it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not as comfortable. So I think if you're, yeah, some time trials, they, they, they get to that point and they think, you know, I, I see a lot of guys now who tend to switch to road cycling or or, or triathlon and Ironman things and just go longer rather than as fast as they can. It's ten, mm-hmm. We see a hell of a lot of people coming in now who are saying, look, I need to do, you know, 200K a day for the how many days and going as far as I can. It definitely seems to be the trend. Is It's not necessarily how fast can I go or how aero I can be but how far can I extend myself in that thing? And of course, the changes that we just talked about, yeah, I find it fairly easy now to convince people and say, look, I think you should be thinking about a road endurance or gravel bike geometry. Go and try them. And people are convinced wholly within minutes of jumping on these machines going, well, that's a lot more comfortable than mine. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that long ago. Remember that most top, and if you wanted to spend a lot of money on a bike, Simon, it was going to be that brand's Tour de France bike. You know, that was it. They didn't offer you the 13 no. grand bike in, in the comfortable option <laughs> it was yeah i think now, one, one of one of my one of my friends just um bought, bought a new bike and he said it's no it's not the it's not the sort of uh it's not the aero road version this one it's more of an all-day bike he said but it feels so much more comfortable and that was when he was riding along next to me saying oh your front end's quite low there isn't it um and that was what what made me think about whether that position was sustainable as well and i i do think also for triathletes that you have to consider the fact that you've got to get off and run at um, 21 or 42 K. And so you don't want to be getting off the bike, feeling uncomfortable with your back tight and with your hamstrings aching and um, you know, with your neck hurting, because that's, you know, you might be able to shake that off as you get into the run, but if it's, if it's uppermost in your mind in the first few kilometers, that's still going to affect your race and it's probably going to come back and haunt you later on. So uh, I suppose maybe it's, it's been a cautious coach, but I've always thought that being compromising aero for comfort a little bit actually works out at a more enjoyable whole race day. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, exactly, and uh, it, it, exactly that. Yeah. So reducing crank length, for example, the reason why that works so well for um, the transition to running is that if you uh, if you drop five million crank length, you normally get about about three degrees back in hip. And that's the equivalent of uh, the obviously way you could do it is lift your front end 30 mil, but that's going to make you slightly less aero, probably, you know. So, mm-hmm. so by dropping crank length with no cost to performance in terms of power output, just adjust your gearing, you get that open hip. And so many triathletes I've looked after have um, rid themselves from either back pain on the bike or that horrible feeling that you just jammed up in the first, you know, mm-hmm. K of the run. Because what people don't know is that the hip flexor is two muscles, iliaeus and psoas. That's why it's called iliopsoas. And then the psoas part inserts onto the bottom free lumbar vertebra. So, you know, when you get off the bike these days, as I do, Simon, and you, you're at the coffee stop in the first few minutes, you look, you look like you've got a pole stuck up your bum. You know, you're scared like this. That's <laughs> generally your psoas muscle 
clinging onto your back, pulling it to extension. After a few minutes, it's gone. But you know, if you you know, transition is so important in, in in triathlon and Ironman that you know if it can be as smooth as possible. And I agree with you. You know, those those things work on you mentally. Um, if you if you know you've got a position that's working for you, not against you, that that's worthwhile. Dude, you, you talked about the contact points. So we, we've we talked about the saddle. Does our does our bone structure relax? Does our bone structure change, or do the muscles that are supporting us around there change so that we might need to consider um, a more comfortable saddle as we get older, or is it just um, a- no, no, not Jerry? Um, you, you, your bone the bone size and structure will basically remain the same. What if you lose a significant amount of weight? That does take that can take a a lot of some of the fat away from around like your sit bones and things like that. And that can sometimes mean you might want to replace that, that comfort giving tissue with something in the saddle. What, what about if you lose muscle? Because we know that older folks lose muscle. So if you, if, yeah. if you are losing muscle around your glutes, would that, would that also take away some of the padding for sitting on your saddle? Yeah. Yeah, it would. And, 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 and you could argue it's such a, such a personal and individual thing. Like, a lot of people, for example, not many people actually truly sit on their sit bones on a road bike. You more rotate forward onto the pubic rami just in front. But that that again is an area that you know. Um, if you lose, you're generally not losing your, your perineum. In other words, you, you know, under, your underneath bit doesn't. That's not muscular per se, yeah. and it's more just tissue. So tend not to lose things there. But yeah, you could argue that um, the width for the you know, the shape of the saddle might change to better orientate you. The reason why I mentioned that is so you, you've seen probably the last. Five ten years, the trend towards short no saddles, and the reason why I think they work is twofold. One, um, they if you get it in the right place, it really you can't get get where to sit wrong. Whereas I still ride like a physique area just because I've ridden it ages. That's thirty centimeters long. You can have three different sitting positions into it. I'm, I, you know, so you, some people like a short no saddle because once it's in the right place, it it basically defines where you're sitting. But I think what's more important is that if you think about a saddle has two jobs, it has to hold supporters and allow us to perch and independently move our legs towards and away from ourselves. Yeah? So the hips have to be free. Now, we talk about cracking. One of the biggest problems of getting hip pain is having too wide a nose saddle, you know. And we all see that, you know, in time trial events at Ironman and that, with um, a very popular saddle as an ISM, but how many of them are zip-tied at the front because they, they want to make it a bit <laughs> narrower because then yeah. they have the benefit of the, the wonderful independent pro movements of it, but it gets narrower so I can move my legs and my, my thighs aren't shaking. So I think as you get older... Our, our hips, our, I hate to say it, they generally bear the one, you know, because we're still evolving as human beings. We only stood up a couple of million years ago. So the, the, the hip joints are still actually working out how we're, we are bipeds, you know. So they do wear out quicker, it seems, than some other joints in the body. And on the on the bike, you definitely want to have where that flare is, which is the, you know, how the nose and the saddle transitions to the sit bone support. It's just so crucial about where that's positioned. And therefore, might be that yeah, a different saddle can offer you better hit clearance whilst giving you the support that you want. It's a real it's a real mm. challenge what the cycling saddle has to do if you think about it. Okay, let's let's move down to the next contact point then. Um pedals and the shoes mm. that you wear. Now I, I came to you with a pair of um really swanky looking Rafa shoes. Do you remember they they were that yes. that sort of sh- shimmering green and purple. Ooh. And you and you and you said to me straight away, they're too narrow for you. Because you've got broad feet, so that that's that's a, 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 I suppose, a case of me buying based on fashion rather than um, what's appropriate and comfort. Um, yeah. I have now got a pair of wider fit lakes, and they do actually seem to uh, um, to have helped. 
do we need to think about how our feet change as we get older and that um, um, um and and the, the sort of things that we put on them and maybe the pedals that we ride do do we need also you talked about speed play do we need to think about pedals that have got a little bit more float yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really good point. I think getting the right fitting shoe from even an early younger age is really important because a lot of people go around suffering from what they get, you know, hot foot and things like that and swelling and, and not being comfortable. I, for example, specialised and launched a range called Torch now where they recognise that they were traditionally quite a narrow shoe and I've ridden them forever and they're so much more comfortable. So there's an example of, there's but I was riding the wrong probably whip shoe for a long time and I haven't got massive wide feet like you, four foot like you, but it, it can make a real big difference. I think some most of the brands now will offer a wide fitting option. Some are better than others. I think if you're putting an insole in that shoe, you know. So, for example, my big thing is if you if you've had corrective insoles made through walking and running, you, you nearly always need them in your cycling shoes as well. And it's hot, surprising the amount of people have missed that point. And it needs to be a full length of it. Quite often with that, that's better in a wider shoe for the very purposes of putting that that in there. You know, that insole in there. Um, in terms of pedals, yeah, I'm a I'm a massive speedplay fan. I would be, you know, I'm a bike fitter, I mean, but I think, yeah, it comes down to basic speedplay allow you to put the float wherever you want it, so your foot can go where it wants to. I think when we're younger, you know, there's not I got if you've got Shimano a look on there and you haven't got any problems with it, I'm I'm not changing it, and I'm not not invested in that at all. It's working for you, but if you say, for example, you've got hip or knee issues and they are will be helped by you being able to, for example, drop your heel in a bit more at the bottom of the pedal stroke, therefore decreasing those forces that have to be resolved of the knee otherwise, then that's a good thing. Yeah. So I think as we get older, having that variability in the rotation of the foot makes a big difference to handling the pressures that, that we know. The knee's really the joint that's left out in the wind in cycling. If you think about it, we sit down on our backsides of the hips fairly well supported. The foot's locked into a carbon fiber shoe with a solid lock into a pedal so compared to running the knee the knee in cycling is the one that's bearing it's going to have to resolve any of those things if they're not not optimal mm. so um yeah so in, in terms of cycling knee pain and um, two of the easiest places to go and therefore you could argue okay if i don't want to get knee pain we'll be optimizing your pedal setup and optimizing your your foot interaction with the shoe either with insole width of shoe type of shoe yeah definitely okay any changes that we need to make uh, around the bars? I mean, you you mentioned to me having narrower width handlebars. You, you did that so, simple exercise where you got me to sit on the bike in front of the mirror and you could see that um, my bars were a couple of centimetres too wide. Um, yeah, I, I I like bar width. But the, 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 the upside to it is yeah, you describe yourself. You're, I wouldn't say you were a sale, but my, my amongst all that date all that fancy tracking stuff we have and all the thing you know we get the big pink stick out and it's is, is your thumb and, and finger on the hood in line with your acromion on your shoulder you can sort of see that the reason why i find that big thing simon is if, if you're a fairly narrow person and you're on 42 inch bars it, that in, that increases the reach because you have to go wider to get to the hood. Your know, hood's the most comfortable place to be on the bike. It doesn't matter whether you can cycle on the tops and the drops at times. That's right, but the hood is the um, you know ergonomically engineered thing that has apparently sixteen different hand positions according to Shimano, and it's very comfortable. So we want you to be able to get there. So I I'm a fan of narrow bars to match your anthropology. You know, with how wide your shoulders are for comfort, and it makes a big big difference. You know, so if you're a big person, I would be saying, look, you need those wider bars. You know, and that, I'm sorry, that's not as aero, but it's going to be more comfortable. So if you're goal is to cycle 200k it's going to be more important to have you comfortable than it is to be i don't know 
0.1% more aero, you know. Um, if, however, we see a lot of people who are riding, because the bikes, remember, come with standard kits. If you're on a 56-centimeter bike, it's going to have a 42-inch bar on it, yeah? But you might be a skinny rake who's got no wide shoulders, and you know, all of a sudden you've got this massive wide handlebar. So I, I'm an advocate of changing handlebar width, um, not primarily for aerodynamics, but it will do, uh, but more for getting you in in line comfort with the, show, with the system. Yeah, and it we keep coming back to this thing about comfort, don't we? And I think for me, for, for older athletes, that's got to be the thing is if if we feel uncomfortable on our bike, either we've got the wrong bike, so we're going to have to think about spending a bit more money to get another one because that makes people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> some some people, but certainly people from Yorkshire as well, a lot of them wouldn't like to wouldn't like to do that. But also if if we're I've got a point there. It's a, yep. you, that's a really good point, Simon. If anyone's listening out there and thinking so you, you, you asked me, do you go and buy the bike and then have the bike fit? But if you've already got a bike, what you could do is, okay, um, Phil, I've suggested change all these things. You can do that on your current bike at a lot less cost. Make the changes, go out, ride it, have convince yourself. And they say, well, that's, yeah, right, now I'm going to go and buy that. You know, that's, So you can do it that way around for sure. Mm. So so yeah. it doesn't it doesn't necessarily need meaning uh, meaning that you have to invest in a total new bike just maybe some new parts like like you mentioned to me you know get some narrow yeah. handlebars get a different saddle get some shorter cranks yeah um i'm i'm going to are there any gender differences that you've noticed with age um you know are, are there things that female athletes might need to consider versus what male athletes might need to consider as they get older as again, so with women, the major difference there would be like the menopause and all the issues that that, that presents, and so they're more to do with um, like yeah, um, the, the managing um, bone health. I think, but most importantly, so I don't really see how that. Um, I think the challenges are, are more for women are, are bigger for men per se at any age, <laughs> but I don't know. But the major difference for me with women aging is normally. Uh, the, the menopause and that that's more to do with but like load management make sure you get in resistance okay. training and all that. So, so one thing I would say is that it, 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 I think I know you wouldn't be surprised I'd probably say this but I think pro cycling misses a massive trick there's a very very substantial body of work now where resistance training makes a big difference to your on bike mm. performance the mm. problem you have in cycling culturally is that, that most of the time is taken up with riding the bike so that it's hard to, to convince them to do that but i think um, some of the athletes you've worked with are more cross-discipline you know having some good so the biggest difference for women i think would be to, if you're really keen cyclists getting that balance in there where you'd have a good off-bike program as well to stimulate good bone health you know let me see if I can summarise, Phil, because I know I know you've got a dash off today. So, um, when we talk about our older athletes, our masters athletes, there isn't really any there isn't really any significant difference between males and females in terms of considerations for bike bike adjustments as they get past that age. Um, but perhaps we think firstly we think less about the amount of power we can generate uh, and how aero we are versus comfort. Um, not to the extent that we're doing a sort of like a typical Dutch bike where we've got a basket on the front yeah. and we're in a sit-up and beg position, but just making that that sort of enjoyment of the ride, particularly if we're switching to riding longer, making it more enjoyable because when I'm to think about sore shoulders and a sore neck, um, yes. other other things we might want to consider to, to go along with that um, comfort element are shorter crank lengths because then your knees, particularly when, you, when you're on the drops, your knees aren't coming up and hitting yourself in the chest or the stomach. And so, um, and there's that 
it's just a little a little easier on the hips. Um, for more comfort, if you were changing your bike, thinking about changing to a bike that has disc brakes, because that then gives you the option to have wheels with tires that are wider, and those bigger tires provide more shock absorption, and that makes a huge difference as we've both experienced and discussed to the comfort of riding a bike particularly on the british roads when you go and ride on some of those super smooth german roads you might not notice it as much but certainly in the uk um that might be a consideration if you're changing to a new bike um yeah if the thought of buying a new bike is scary don't forget that you can um have a bike fit on your current bike and then make some changes so we talked about crank lengths you talked about changing to a short nose saddle yeah. Um, maybe you can adjust the width of your handlebars so you're not putting as much pressure on your shoulders and on your on your wrists. Um, maybe you can consider um, making sure that the shoes that you're wearing are appropriate for your feet. And if they're not, maybe you can consider um, getting uh, wider shoes like some of the brands that we mentioned and maybe having an insole, which provides a bit more comfort. And then maybe also considering changing to a pedal system that has a bit more float to um, sort of give some thought and comfort to those knees, which, as you yeah. said, they're sort of left hanging in the wind a bit. Um, for those of you who are considering um, buying a new bike, it might be a good idea to get a bike fit from somebody like Phil. There are other bike fitters out there, but from somebody like Phil who can actually point you in the direction of, well, this is the steerer tube length that you need because you're very tight in the neck. And so, you know, having something that's cut off at the, uh, at the head tube is going to be a, a bit extreme um, and finding yeah. out the right top tube lengths and the right, um, you know, and getting those. Um, yeah. Trying to think the, the, the uh, parts, you know, I'm trying to think yeah. of the right word here, but making sure that you get the right cranks fitted and the right handlebars fitted at purchase rather than as an extra. Yeah, exactly. I mean, fundamentally, if you're going to buy a new bike, what you want to know is it's it's too big, really. It's the right frame size and the right stack and reach, isn't it? You know, because those things are the things that you can't change once you bought the bike. Worst thing in the world to tell someone they bought the wrong size bike. <laughs> and I've only had to do it four times, but it's devastating. Interestingly, all four times it was an online bike purchase. So I always make my case for support your local bike shops. You know, they're closing all the time. It's like you know, if you can go in and sit on something and feel it, you know. Um, I, I do. I, my, my main summary is that is I think comfort has been hijacked as a dirty word, mm. you know, um, but it's not. If you, if you, if you, it, it's well known that if you know, um, the only research that has ever correlated to a reduction in running injuries with trainers, I don't know if you know this, is how comfortable it is when you first put it on. That is the only thing that has ever been proven beyond doubt that will correlate with an injury reduction in running and so right. therefore i think if you're almost like that i call it comfort filter yeah you know, we mentioned shoes saddles bikes there go and try them and if it feels better nice it's probably going to work trust yourself mm. with these amazing things called human beings that make these massive assessments of what how we are judging our environment and sometimes we objectify that to an internet review <laughs> it's like well, it's it's an interesting point. I think we talked about before about plantar fascia in triathletes yeah. and how some of the physios that I've worked with feel that carbon-soled bike shoes, which provide so much stiffness but don't allow the foot to work naturally, um, then lead to issues um, for running. And once the physios have prescribed a cheaper plastic-soled shoe, oh, after a few months, the problem's cleared up. But, of yeah, course, yeah. 
you know, again, fashion and marketing would have us pointed towards the uh, lightest, stiffest, sexiest looking carbon sold bike shoe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Again, yes, yeah, that's when that's the difficulty of triathlon. You do three different things, isn't it? It's a yeah, um, yeah. No, no, you make a good point. Yeah, but against all this, all the time, that I feel for people, and that we're in a constant battle, and in the age of social media, even more so, where of misinformation and uh, you know, people try to sell you something that you might or might not need. You know, that's why I'm we, your friend. <laughs> we we sound like two old duffers complaining about it in the good old days, and that now marketing's hijacked everything, and people buy the wrong things. Well, at least we've engaged with this podcast world and <laughs> passing on some wisdom, hopefully. <laughs> Well, hopefully we do, and uh, and hopefully there are some uh, of our older athletes out there that are going to enjoy listening to this, and if they can pick up one nugget that's going to help ride it, their riding more comfortable, enjoyable, then we've done a good job. Exactly, exactly. Phil, it's been a pleasure as always. I'm sure that we'll be resuming to discuss something else more controversial in the uh, bike riding world soon, but for now, thank you very much for being here. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Simon. Bye. Thank you again to Phil for being my guest on the show this week. If you are buying a new bike, or if you just bought one and you want to make sure you get the right fit, please do give Phil a call and seek his advice in advance. He can help you to probably make a better choice with your bike, and once you've got that bike, he can help dial it in so you can get the most out of it. To make sure you don't miss any one of my episodes in the future, please go to iTunes search for high performance human triathlon podcast and then click the subscribe button and while you're there and if you have a little bit of time i'd really love it if you can give me a review on apple podcasts please also keep in mind our recently announced partnership with precision fuel and hydration which because you're a regular listener gets you a 15 percent discount on your first order going forward andy blow or one of his colleagues will be appearing on this show sharing some of their latest insights or answering your questions and on this last point if you've got a sports nutrition question that you would like answering please send it in to me via beth at the triathloncoach.com and we'll get back to you with an answer the best of which will be aired on this show for all of those items that i've mentioned above please check our show notes for the links okay that's it for this week i'll be back next time with another great episode so hopefully I will see you there